Would you open your Bibles with me, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, looking at verses 6 through 8. Uh, this, this past week was my privilege to be um, among, um, I don't know, hundreds of other pastors at the pastor's conference at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Uh, that's Pastor Mark's alma mater, by the way. So when you hear him talk about his Moody days, he's not talking about... The, Sometime when he was in a funk, you know, he's talking about uh, where he went to school. It's a wonderful school. Uh, it's just known for outstanding Bible teaching. And uh, uh, Dr. Stuart Briscoe was one of our speakers. He was our morning Bible teacher. And at, at one point, he said to us, as he was about to read the Word, he said, we need to listen to God. He said, what God has to say is far more important than what any man can say about it. So uh, just... Uh, follow along with me. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's uh, the Pew Bible, page 1157. <clears throat> for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. Because of uh, my height, uh, I am occasionally asked if I played basketball in high school. Uh, I usually respond by saying, uh, well, height helps, but talent is a whole lot better. And uh, I wasn't blessed with that, so that, that didn't happen. But I did run on the track team one year. I anchored the 880 relay, and uh, that's 220 yards each for four guys. Uh, the only thing was our, our team was so bad that uh, I... Our team often lost. The other team won before I got the baton, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and, and so I, I got to run the last leg of the race all by myself in, in front of all the spectators who already knew that I was the loser. <laughs> um, that kind of hurt. I, I remember one meet in particular uh, when one of the guys on our mile relay team had to drop out due to sickness. And uh, so our coach put the tab on me to replace him. Now, mind you, I was used to running the 220, I, and I struggled with that. But this is the 440. I didn't know how to pace myself in, in the 440. And so halfway into the race, I, I was out of gas. I, I had 220 yards to go, and I had nothing left. Uh, my, my, my legs were like trees. Uh, my, my hips were like rusty hinges. Uh, how I reached the finish line, I do not know. Uh, but one thing I know, I did not finish very strong. I don't know if my dear Uncle George ever ran a foot race. But in the race of life, he taught me and all who knew him how to finish strong. Uncle George was a retired Southern Baptist pastor and a school principal uh, who spent his last uh, several years in a retirement home near Chicago. Toward the end of his life, uh, even when he didn't always recognize his children when they came to visit, God's word, much of which he had put to memory, was still with him. And he would share it often with the other residents, leading some of them to personal faith in Jesus Christ. My uncle told me that the older he got, the more he thought about heaven and spending eternity with the Savior. As I watched him age and eventually attended his funeral, uh, he taught me a lot about finishing strong through his life as well as through his death. And now as I'm getting older, and I find my thoughts turning more frequently toward what lies ahead and my desire to finish strong for the Lord. 
Speaking of, uh, of growing older, um, some of you may remember my sharing this with you a while back, that at the time when Ruth and I were undertaking a project in our front yard, we had a number of trees removed, and uh, our neighbor of, I don't know, 20 years or so came over during that time to talk to me and, and just tell me how to handle the soil and all that after the project was, was done. So a day or so later, Ruth and I were out front with our wheelbarrow and, sh- and rakes and shovels, and, and the, the gentleman came over and he went up to Ruth and he said, I, I, I was talking with your father the other day. You know, 20 years maybe. What does he think, that my daughter was caring for me all those years? I, I and it, it was around that, that same time that my dad passed away and my family and I drove to Chicago for his funeral. As I sat in the funeral parlor, I was, I was writing down some thoughts that I had planned to share in the service, and a lady that I'd never met before came over to me, and she said, uh, you look so much like Clayton. That was my dad. You look so much like Clayton. You must be his brother. And I said, no. No, I'm, I'm, I'm his son. I'm his youngest son. And uh, it, it, was, it was kind of fun watching him try to backpedal out of that one. I've got one more. It gets better. I, 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 shared this, I shared this at the seniors' hymn sing, so they're, they're one up on the rest of you. Uh, several months ago, I drove to Pittsburgh to visit Mary Brown in the hospital. She had fallen and badly broken her, her hip. And when I got there, no, no, uh, she wasn't in her room. She had been taken out for some tests or something. And, and uh, Mary uh, just uh, celebrated her, her 90th birthday, by the way. And so I, I sat in, in her room waiting for her to be brought back, and the nurse wheeled her in and looked over at me and said, Oh, are you Mrs. Brown's husband? <laughs> I love Mary Brown, but uh, I'm not 90 years old. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm 66, thank you, and uh, soon to again catch up with my wife. I love this time of the year. Five months, but I, I have a lot of fun with it. Um, I think the thought of finishing strong first came to me uh, when a good friend of mine from college and seminary came to visit about 20 years ago. We had we had something in common. Uh, in in addition to going to the same college, we also dated Ruth in college. Uh, he dated her first, and then she met the real deal. And uh, <laughs> 45 years later, here here we are. During Ken's visit, we, we drove to the Chautauqua Institute in nearby New York State. The season hadn't yet begun, and, and uh, we were allowed to walk through the grounds. We enjoyed the quaint architecture as, as we walked and talked. And uh, we eventually made our way to the amphitheater. And uh, while men down front were busily preparing the facility for the coming season, we found seats way in the back and sat and talked for at least an hour about the things that were closest to our hearts. Before we left, we made a commitment to the Lord and a covenant with one another, uh, sealed in prayer, that we would do our part to finish strong for him. Statistics tell us, sadly, that only one out of ten men who are serving as pastors will retire as a pastor. Uh, I find that very alarming and quite concerning. Uh, We both knew of pastors who had lost their ministries due to moral failure, Others who had dropped out for various reasons, and by God's grace, uh, we would choose a higher path and finish strong. Howard Hendricks of Dallas Theological Seminary did an exhaustive study of the men and women of the scriptures 
and found about 100 detailed biographies, of which he says two-thirds ended poorly. They either succumbed to immorality, or they drifted from the faith. The Apostle Paul was not one of them. In his letter to his young protege, Timothy, that we have read a portion of this morning, he, he passes on his formula, if you will, for finishing strong. Finishing well does not happen by accident. It takes commitment, persistent efforts, and courage. Uh, in preparing for my sermon, uh, I was grateful to come across an excellent outline of our text by Pastor Brian Guinness of the People's Church in Montreal. And that is this. Number one, keep fighting. Run with discipline. Two, keep running. Run with direction. And three, keep believing. Run with determination. Uh, I liked that. And since I couldn't improve upon it, uh, I borrowed it or stole it, you know, whichever the case may be. In verse 7 of our text, Paul says confidently, I have fought the good fight. How can a fight be good? It's good when we battle with the enemies of God. In 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17, we find these words. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. To fight the good fight, we need, I think, above all other qualities, this one, and that is discipline. We can't do battle with the world, with the flesh, or with the devil, if we don't have discipline. Sometimes, quite frankly, I fear that the devil doesn't have to work at all that hard on us because we've already caved in, caved into our own fleshly desires, our rule of anger, our rule of envy, our rule of lust. To win that battle, Paul declares, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul's talking about disciplining his mind, his eyes, his mouth, everything about him must be brought under God's control. Now, the story of Samson in the book of Judges gives a glimpse into the life of someone who didn't do that. Samson uh, was known more for his out-of-control passions than for his discipline. And he was full of contradictions. Here's a guy who he was God's choice for defending Israel at a time when there was not yet a king. But sadly, his lust for women did him in. He was chosen by God. And yet he made a mess of his life because he lacked self-discipline. He let his sinful nature guide his choices, which always leads to disaster. Several years ago, uh, our son felt the need to give his exercise program a boost. So we decided to take up boxing. Uh, if you know my son, you'd know this is the last thing you'd expect him to want to take up. If he had asked me for a suggestion, I might have thought, oh, ping pong, uh, <laughs> badminton, you know, something less painful, uh, but it was boxing. And so on one of our visits to Chicago, where David lives, Ruth and I made our way to a dingy old building in a rough part of town and watched our son in the ring with an old Russian coach throwing some pretty mean punches uh, as the old man deflected them with his large, flat mitts. 
That's really as far as our son's boxing career went, something for which his parents are very grateful. Uh, he really has a very nice face. We didn't want that to get messed up. Before a fighter climbs into the ring, there are some things he needs to consider. First is a, a good fight plan. Secondly, he needs a coach and a trainer. And thirdly, he needs to study his opponent to know his ploys. So it is in the good fight. We need to study our fight plan, the Word of God. We need to listen to our coach, Jesus Christ, and follow his instructions. We need to take our enemy very seriously and know that while we cannot beat him on our own, Paul says we can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. So first, to finish strong in the race of life, we need to keep fighting. Second, we need to keep running. Paul says, I have finished the race, or I have finished my course. But simply running isn't enough. We need to run in the right direction. I remember as a youngster, well, a young man really, a teenager, uh, watching a, a football game on television uh, with the Minnesota Vikings and the San Francisco 49ers. One of the linemen for the Vikings, uh, Jim Marshall, scooped up a fumble and with the proud look of a hero on his face began rumbling toward the end zone. He mistook the yelling of the fans for cheering. He couldn't figure out why one of his own teammates tried to tackle him until he wound up in the end zone, the wrong end zone. Rather than scoring a touchdown for the Vikings, he scored a safety for the 49ers. He's been known ever since as wrong way Marshall. Paul didn't run the wrong way. When Paul says that he finished the race, he means that he followed the direction that the Lord Jesus set for him the day he saved him on the road to Damascus. Ever since that day, he had been following the Lord, doing whatever the Lord had for him to do, whether in good times or bad, whether in happy circumstances or in the midst of great pain, and Paul, Paul knew much of that. Paul walked in the way of the Lord. And now as he approaches the end of his journey, he looks back and he, whew, you know, that was rough. That was a tough, tough journey. It was often very hard. I'm sure there were times when Paul wondered if he'd even make it. But having finished his course, he can look back and say with confidence that Jesus led him all the way. Paul reminds us of our need for direction in his words to the believers at Philippi when he writes these words. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That phrase, forgetting what is behind, is so important for us as Christ followers. One of the enemy's greatest uh, weapons is to take your past and mine and throw it in our faces and tell us that we will never change. Stuff that we have done or said that we have confessed to God and it is gone, when he says, forget what is behind, he's saying, don't let your past dictate today or determine tomorrow. When it's confessed and forgiven, it's, it's gone. Keep moving forward. And 
Our race does not go unnoticed. The Bible says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I like to think of them as heavenly cheerleaders. The writer to the Hebrews said this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The problem with many Christians today, I fear, is that they think the Christian life ought to be easy. And when it's not, they think that something wrong happened. They think they made a wrong turn. Or they think that God somehow forgot that they were his children. Or that he called in one of his promises. Sometimes we think that life with a Christ follower should be free of obstacles, of sickness, of heartache, free of opposition of any kind. Was it that way for Jesus? Or for the apostles? Then why do we get surprised when something happens to us that we wish didn't? It's not any different for us than it was for them. In case you haven't noticed, the Christian life is not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. It's a fight, and fights are hard. It's a race, and races are hard. The call of God is simply to fight with discipline and run with direction. At the 1992 Olympics in Spain, there was a remarkable event involving a British runner by the name of Derek Redmond. Uh, those of you who follow the games more closely may remember this. Uh, four years prior, Redmond had injured his Achilles tendon, and eight surgeries later, here he was at the 92 Summer Games in Barcelona. Uh, he posted the fastest time in the first round and won his quarterfinal. And in the semifinal, he started well, but in the backstretch, just a few hundred meters from the finish, his hamstring snapped. He hobbled to a halt, falling to the track in pain. Uh, men with a stretcher made their way quickly to where he was, but he, he motioned them aside. He was intent on finishing the race. And as he got to his feet and began to hobble down the track, his face etched with pain. An older gentleman barged past security onto the track and joined him in the race. It was his father. And in a moving display of love and courage, Dad and son completed the, first, the last lap of the race together with Derek leaning upon his father's shoulder for support. They crossed the finish line together and the crowd of 65,000 plus rose in a standing ovation. In the same way that Derek's father came alongside his son to help him finish the race. God has given us someone to come alongside us as we finish the race. The precious Holy Spirit of God. Not only are we encouraged in our race by a great cloud of witnesses who have run the race before us, we are comforted by the Spirit of God who lifts us up and runs beside us all the way to the finish line. Looking back on his life, Paul said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished the race. And then he said, I have kept the faith. Simply put, he refused to compromise the truth. When the world was against him, Paul paid no attention. He didn't preach what the people wanted to hear. He preached the truth. He kept the faith. Paul knew that nothing could touch him that hadn't first passed God's approval. I hope you understand that. Nothing can touch you that hasn't first passed God's approval. 
Therefore, Paul never gave in to discouragement, though he had more reason to do so than most. He, he really believed that everything that happened to him was for his good and for God's glory. In the words he wrote in Romans 8.28, these, these were truly a reality in his life. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I wonder if we believe that. I wonder if I do. We might say that we do, but when, when we come up against something that, uh, some terribly disturbing news or, or an awful situation that just makes us sick, when we're prone to ask, God, where are you in this? I wonder if we believe it then. Now, some of you have gone through some awfully difficult times. Some might be going through them right now. And these really aren't the easiest of times for our church body. But be encouraged. God is working for our good and for his glory. Because God is the one who has called us. Do I get an amen? amen? That doesn't mean that hard times won't happen. It just means that when they do, God can make something good out of them, no matter how bad they seem. That's what he did in Paul's life. Paul suffered physical illness, persecution, opposition of all kinds. But what amazing things God did in and through his life. Paul never stopped fighting. He never stopped running. He never stopped believing. And finished strong. And for those who do, Scripture tells us there is a reward. In verse 8 of our text, Paul says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul sees a day coming when he will receive his reward from the Lord. And what a reward it will be. It will be a guaranteed reward laid up in heaven with his name on it. It will be a glorious reward, a crown of righteousness, a personal reward bestowed on him by the Lord himself, and a shared reward. One not just for him, but for all who love the Lord and long for his return. I'd like to direct my next comments uh, to my fellow seniors, those 55 and over. Uh, I like to think of them as the Blue Dot Gang. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go past the mailboxes. Whenever you see a little blue dot, those are old people. <laughs> like me. <laughs> those are the seniors. Some 400 seniors here. At First Alliance, we are a force. We are a force. And most likely, uh, we have fewer days remaining than the rest of you. But we can use those days to play a significant role in encouraging and challenging those younger than we are. In our marriages, in our stewardship, and in every area of our walk with the Lord. Younger Christians desperately need those kinds of examples. And where else will they find them? except in us. We must be that for them. Some of you might remember me telling you about a little booklet given to me by my daughter entitled Rethinking Retirement by John Piper. I shared that thought with you back in October. And uh, many of you know that last August I really felt that God was leading me to step back a little bit and to enter semi-retirement. And uh, I announced that to all of you. And when Ruth and I were gone for a few weeks, uh, God got a hold of my heart and said, ah, it's not the right time for that. Go back and see if they can still take you on full time. 
And uh, so that that part-time stuff never happened, and uh, I'm delighted to be to be with you uh, full time. In in this little booklet by John Piper, I want I want to read just a few paragraphs for you. Kind of hard-hitting stuff. Many Christians set their sights on a Sabbath evening of life, resting, playing, traveling, the world's substitute for heaven, since the world does not believe that there will be a heaven beyond the grave. The mindset of our non-Christian peers is that we must reward ourselves now, in this life, for the long years of our labor. Eternal rest and joy after death is an irrelevant consideration. When you don't believe in heaven to come and you are not content in the glory of Christ now, you will seek the kind of retirement that the world seeks. But what a strange reward for a Christian to set his sights on. Twenty years of anticipated leisure while living in the midst of the last days of an infinite consequence for millions of people who need Christ. What a tragic way to finish the last mile before entering the presence of the king, who finished his last mile so differently. Instead of pining and reminiscing, we need to be reaching and growing. The days we have remaining may be some of our best yet. Uh, I don't believe Piper at any point in this little booklet said it's wrong for a Christian to retire from his employment. But he challenges very, very strongly that those years we have left should be our best years yet in serving him. Not finding a padded rocking chair uh, and not hitting the links every day of the week. It really, really spoke to my heart as I read through this, and I trust that it has yours as well. I encourage you to pick up that little booklet. Now, obviously, we don't know when. Uh, I'm sorry, we don't know when uh, we'll be reaching our our finish line of this life and into the next. Our finish line might be next year. It might be next month. It might be tomorrow. But because we don't know, all we can do is make sure that we live for God today with discipline, with direction, with determination, and commit ourselves to finishing strong and to live with the finishing line in view. Recently, one television network re-ran the tragic yet victorious movie, Amish Grace, perhaps you've seen it, which related the true story of a man mentally troubled in a little rural Pennsylvania town who stormed an Amish schoolhouse in an execution style shot ten young girls, killing five of them. Before shooting them, he asked if one of the girls would pray for him, and one did. She prayed for the man who just a few moments later became her killer. Her day no doubt began like any other day. Bright, sunny, the whole world ahead of her, but it ended very differently. And even as a young adolescent, this young lady finished her race strong. Mary Jane Rogers also finished strong. Many of you didn't know Mary Jane, didn't have that privilege. Longtime friend of our family, she'd been a member of First Alliance, 90-some years of age, living in a nursing home. I will not forget my last conversation with Mary Jane. He was so precious. She could hardly wait to see the Lord. No more oxygen tank, able to walk on her own, maybe even run. And most of all, she would be face-to-face -face with her Savior at last. When I asked her how I could pray for her, she said nothing about her pain being lifted or anything else that might make life easier for herself. 
her last prayer request was this, that the Lord Jesus would help her be a better witness for him in the days that she had remaining. She finished strong. Paul Pershing and Didi Buells also finished strong. Their ages together barely matched Mary Jane's. Paul in his 50s, Didi in her 40s. Some of you knew them both. Both of them faithfully fought the good fight. They finished their courses. They kept the faith. They faithfully passed on God's truth to their children. They were faithful witnesses to their co-workers. And even though they reached their finish lines before any of us had imagined, they were both grateful to the Lord for the life they had been given and were ready to meet him. And they finished strong. Paul knows that in a very short time he will stand before the Roman judgment seat and that his trial will have but one outcome. He knows what Nero's verdict will be. The judges in Rome were not righteous. If they were, he would have been released. And then soon he will face his last judge, his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous judge. And Paul yearns to hear his words, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share my happiness. As we bring our time to a close this morning, I want to ask you to consider your own life for a moment. Do you have the same kind of hope and assurance that Paul is talking about? You may feel pressed on every side, challenged like you can't believe. You may feel a lot like Paul feels. But do you have the hope and assurance that he knew as he neared his finish line? Whether your race has just begun, is reaching the midpoint, or is nearing the finish, you can have God's peace by doing what Paul did. Confess your sin to the Lord. Accept God's great and full forgiveness. Invite Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord to come into your life and make you a brand new person. And only with him will you be able to finish life's race strong. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2.13 that it is God who works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. God not only runs next to us to the finish line, he lives inside us and gives us the internal strength continue the race but we must do our part there is a finish line out there and it might be closer than we think I challenge you decide today to keep on fighting decide today to keep on running decide today to keep on believing and decide today to finish strong